All right. Good morning, church. Good morning, Antioch, Dallas. Hey, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord with you, worshiping the Lord together and just singing uh, praises to his name. And that, man, I just um, I think that one of my favorite days or it is my favorite day of, of the week is to be able to come and join together with you on a Sunday uh, to be able to worship the Lord together. And it, I, I can't describe how much encouragement it gives me uh, to do so with you. And uh, this morning, I just want to uh, welcome any new person or maybe you're visiting us for the first time. I just want to say welcome uh, to Antioch, Dallas. I hope that as you are maybe visiting and maybe trying to find a church home, that you uh, would make this church your home. I want you to know that a community is our middle name. Huh? Get it? <laughs> uh, Antioch Community Church, Dallas Community is our middle name, and we want to be a family uh, to you. Uh, sorry, that was a little bit of a cheesy joke. It's, it's okay, right, Mo? Okay, all right. <laughs> um, and we just want to be a family to you, and I hope that this morning you feel welcome. My name is Johnny Gonzalez, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and it is an honor and a privilege uh, always to be able to share God's word with you. And uh, I hope this morning it would be a word that is specific to where you're at and that the Lord speaks to your heart this morning. So uh, before we jump in, I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, uh, verse 27, John 14, verse 27. It, uh, you can put it up, pull it up on your iPhone or, or if you have a paper uh, Bible, you can do that as well or, or any other device. Um, at the same time, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible somewhere in the seat back or in the basket underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you. And if you don't know where, how to look up John 14, 27, just look up page 875 in that Bible and uh, it'll take you right to John 14, 27. Okay. And I want you to hold the place there because we're not going to read it just yet. Deal? All right. Lord, thank you for your goodness this morning. That you would give us your perfect peace. That, Lord, peace has been the theme of this service. But Lord, we recognize that without you, there would be no peace. Because not only are you the author, you are the embodiment of peace. So right now, I ask boldly that your Holy Spirit would right now begin a work in our own hearts, that you would wash away all uh, uh, fear, anxiety, anything that we came in, Lord, that is causing us maybe to rush and to say, man, uh, I, I need to get somewhere or I need to do this next thing or I'm behind. I pray that you would capture our attention this morning. Focus in on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so we are in the season of Advent. Uh, we're taking uh, time to look back at the incarnation of Jesus and look ahead to the return of Christ. 
And this uh, uh, is such an important time for believers. Uh, Pastor Zach mentioned last week that uh, we tend to think of January as the new year. Everybody's kind of uh, winding down, or maybe for some of you, you're starting to put your list together in an order, uh, and, and, and you think of January as a new year to start resolutions, but for the church, Advent is the beginning of the new year or the beginning of the liturgical calendar that begins with looking back at Jesus, okay? And then it also starts with looking forward to his return. And the truth is, is that every single one of us in here today are living in what uh, theologians call and what, we, what I like to say in the already but not yet. It's something where we look back at Jesus and his life and we say, man, we have already been saved, but we are awaiting the return of Jesus when we would be fully and totally and completely transformed and we would be living with him for all eternity. And the theme for this year uh, that we've had is come and behold. And so each week we've been focusing in on one of the many themes of Advent. And so if you remember in the past few weeks, we've taken time to behold, to come and behold Jesus and his hope. Uh, we've celebrated baptisms as a way to come and behold Jesus in his love. We've, and last week we celebrated the culmination of our uh, two-year vision theme of For the City, where we, as a way to come and behold Jesus and the joy that he brings. And so today, uh, we're going to look at one more of these, of, of, of these themes that lead us into our Christmas Eve service, where we will be looking at Jesus himself. But today, I want to talk about uh, come and behold Jesus and his peace. And here's how we're going to do that this morning, okay? We're going to look at Scripture's proclamation of peace, okay? Scripture's proclamation of peace. We're going to see Jesus as the person of peace. And then we're going to look at our or the church's practice of peace, okay? So proclamation of peace, the person of peace, and our practice of peace. Got it? Okay. But first, a personal story, okay? So in 2011, Lauren and I were uh, two years married, and we were thriving, okay? Uh, for those of you that have been married for 50 years or more, you know what I mean. Uh, year two is just kind of one of those places where we're thriving. Uh, I had a great job. I was getting to do things that I would have never imagined getting to do at the age of 26, um, but yet it was in that year, in 2011, when Lauren's mom, the rock of our family, she came out of remission and cancer came back with a vengeance. And I went into a mode where what I was wanting to do was wanting to fix it. I, I was trying to, in many ways, shield Lauren from the pain that, she, that we were experiencing, and, and I was trying to remain positive, and I was trying to give a semblance of faith that was more rooted and grounded, grounded in my self-sufficiency and strength than in the peace that Jesus was able to provide. And then you tack on top of that a really silly idea, and what I re later re realized was a very dumb idea of participating in a fad diet that essentially led me to starve myself. I'm not going to say which one. Let's just say I was eating five, 500 calories a day. Dumb idea. 
And so one day I woke up with pain in my chest, heart pounding, and my breathing was labored. And I began crying profusely, thinking, this is it. I'm done. I'm dying. And the fear was so gripping and paralyzing that I remember being laid out on the floor, begging God, God, would you just give me more life? And then I was, uh, it was a Saturday morning, and uh, Lauren, if you, if you don't know, uh, uh, also uh, works as a hairstylist, and, and she was on a Saturday, it was the busiest day, and I called Lauren, and I begged her to come home from work because I'm dying. Now, in order to behold Jesus and his peace, we have to start at the beginning. I know some of you are saying, wait, 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 we'll, we'll get there in a minute. With the, uh, we have to start at the beginning with the desire of the Father. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the Godhead creating the heavens and the earth, where Scripture would show us that God said, and after each declaration, the power of his word made it happen. So God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then Scripture would, say, would show us and teach us that it was so. And then finally, on the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness so that they may rule. And after he created man, he breathed his spirit into man and man became a living being. Became a person that uh, enjoyed God's fullness, God's uninterrupted attention, God's presence, God's friendship, and most importantly, became a man that enjoyed God's uninterrupted and unconditional love. You see, this is God's perfect picture of peace. It's what the Old Testament would call shalom. It's what the New Testament calls erene, where peace is not just the absence of conflict. Instead, peace is utter enjoyment, where peace is wholeness and completeness. This is, in fact, for those of you that may remember this, this is, in fact, what Jerry Maguire would say to Dorothy Boyd when he says, you complete I know some of you didn't laugh, but you need to watch that movie. I, I don't recommend it, but you, you can watch it. But, but uh, for some of you husbands, you probably said that to your wives because you experienced this type of wholeness and completeness and utter enjoyment. And so you look at her in the eyes and you say, you complete me. And this is the picture of peace where, where you are looking at God in the face, living with God face to face in relationship with him. And man was able to look into the eyes of God and say, you complete me. One theologian would say that to dwell in shalom is to enjoy living before God, is to enjoy living in one's physical surroundings, and it's to enjoy living with one another, and it's to enjoy life with oneself. And the peace that Adam and Eve enjoyed was, was much more than just a concept. It was a way of life. It was a way of being where true human, humanity was lived out with God. Joe mentioned Selah earlier. Let's Selah this moment. Let's slow down. Let's pause. Let's consider. 
I mean, this is the place in Scripture where nothing was hidden, where no one would question your motives because ulterior motives didn't exist. Where you didn't have to be afraid of the danger that was lurking around because there was no danger. <laughs> where there was no sickness or no disease, where, where you didn't need any type of vaccines be, because death wasn't even a thing. And this was a perfect world that was inhabited by perfect humans with a perfect God. And yet, there was a fracture in the peace that was being lived out. Satan came in the form of a serpent to deceive Adam and Eve into believing that God was holding out on them. Can you imagine he deceived them into believing that they were self-sufficient. They were deceived into taking on what the Apostle John would later describe as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And through the fracture, shame, fear, and death came rushing in it. Enjoyment, wholeness, and completion gave way to dissatisfaction, gave way to partiality and incompleteness. And in this fractured state, we hide from God when he calls our name. Adam, where are you? Yet, in the midst of this tragedy, there is a proclamation of peace. You see, in that moment, God cursed the serpent. God cursed Satan and prophetically proclaimed in Genesis 3.15, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What an incredible proclamation that he made, a proclamation of peace. You see, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's perfect picture of peace. Then in Genesis 3, and then on all the way down to Revelation 20, we see the primary characteristics of peace at work. We see God taking on an active approach. Everybody say active approach to rebuilding, restoring, and renewing. In fact, that in the midst of that, we see a loving God that in spite of man's sins and in spite of man's failures, God reveals himself in Exodus 34. Watch this as this. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. I wish I had time to unpack that because in the midst of this tragedy that we're living in, Jesus or God steps into human history and he begins to declare, I am the compassionate and gracious one. I am the loving one, the faithful one. I maintain this love to thousands. And as we come to the final Sunday gathering of our church, I want to look back and review at what has happened in this year. Give me some time. You see, domestically, we started the year off, if you remember, on January 6th, the Capitol being stormed. 
And we started the year, however you feel about this, that, that's not, I'm just giving some cultural commentary. There was a contentious start to a year with a new president. There was a border crisis that continually comes across the news where there was the separation of, of children away from their parents. And sometimes we saw the reunion of, parent, of, of children with their parents. We, we lived an entire year and have been living years where coronavirus is wreaking havoc and the race to develop an approved vaccine ensued. And, and then all of a sudden, the economic relief that comes from those that are experiencing the brokenness of what we're currently living in. But then we moved into a time of snowmageddon here in Texas, where uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Texas shut down, y'all. And it didn't just shut down. It shut down for an entire week. And for some, it shut down even more. Sports teams were turning to, to activism. There was mass shootings in malls and, and supermarkets and in public transportations. Mental health and anxiety was, was at the forefront of our news and our social media feeds. Hurricanes were hitting the Gulf Coast. Cryptocurrency and the metaverse became popular. And justice and exonerations or not guilty verdicts in happened in some of the most publicized events that happened in 2020. And that is just domestically. Internationally, just to name a few, we see a coup in Myanmar where a state of emergency was declared. We see a 7.2 magnitude earthquake in Haiti that killed 2,200 people. We see the Taliban that takes over Kabul as U.S. troops are being pulled out. And then the church begins to hear reports of Christian persecution pour in. And we see 17 missionaries that are kidnapped in Haiti. 15 of which are still waiting to be released. And just this morning, I opened my news app and noticed, man, there's a there's a speech by the president that is expected on Tuesday to talk about more of what could happen with this new variant. But this is all what's happening in the world around us. And this list doesn't even take into consideration your own personal struggles and anxieties. You feel that tension? I don't know about you, but it feels heavy right now. And I just want to acknowledge this moment right here because this is exactly how and this is the exact place where Jesus enters in. He doesn't shy away. He's an active participant. And so the good news is that Jesus, uh, where, where uh, God's active approach to repairing this fracture, he brought about these prophetic proclamations of peace to repair to remind and point to one who was coming that was going to redeem the people of God and the sins of society. You see, everyone thought that it was going to be maybe through military might. It was going to be a strong person. It was going to be a king. And as an example, Joe has already read this, but in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, uh, it, Isaiah would pr prophetically proclaim, he, speaking of the Messiah, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and watch this, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. 
what the prophets would point to was an establishment of God's kingdom where God would rule and reign in a world where one of the primary characteristics of, of the kingdom would be that there would be no end to peace. You see, the, specifically, the father's active approach was him sending his son through the fracture to reconcile the father with creation or creation to the father. And in Luke 2.14, there was an angelic proclamation when Jesus comes onto the scene where the angels began to sing out in song, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so Jesus steps onto the scene and we're given the person of peace. Everybody say person of peace. You see, Jesus' life was marked by him being the embodiment of peace. His life's mission was seeking to restore this enjoyment, to restore completeness and, uh, uh, and wholeness. He didn't sit idly by as the world around him hurt. He actively sought to heal the sick. He, he actively sought to mend broken relationships, to deliver those that were oppressed, to rebuke the agitators and instigators and establish the law of love, which is the foundation of peace. And then at the climax of his life was the cross. So he died for our sins. He redeemed us. He restored right relationship with us where we're no longer children of wrath. But now through Jesus, we can now desire the father instead of our sin. We can now approach the Father's throne boldly, knowing that we will receive grace to help in time of need. And not only did he reconcile us with the Father, he reconciled us to one another. He broke down the wall of hostility that existed. And now you and I are able to be in community with each other and love one another because of Jesus. And we may come from different backgrounds. We may come from different sides of the political aisle. We may even come from a different socioeconomic statuses. But at the end of the day, we are all made equal at the foot of the cross. And the proclamations of peace are fulfilled in Jesus. Church, Jesus is peace. So now we come to John 14, 27. So open your Bibles there. And now look at what Jesus says. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Here's the greatest news of all. After he says that he's given us himself, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, Jesus didn't give us the peace of the world because we've seen how much anxiety the quote peace of the world brings to us or it induces. 
You see, the world looks at our current state, culture looks at our current state, and tries to come up with right conditions and influence, the right laws and the ways to think. Uh, and, if, and it says if we're properly educated, if we are fully informed, and if we establish the right policies, and if we advance technologically, uh, if we advance uh, uh, physically, if we, if we advance just as uh, politically and morally, then this leads to free fair, and a prosperous future. But we know that what it actually leads to is not progress, but it leads to, and it creates even more problems because what we're trusting in is what uh, the cultural commentators would call secularism and not Jesus. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, gave us himself. You see, he did not... Uh, give to us the partiality of the world. Uh, he gave us himself. He gave us his life. And if he gave us himself, then we have nothing to be troubled over. We have nothing to fear because he shows us a better way. It's him that we're after. And then with that, he gave us a charge and the charge is practice his peace. You see, he demonstrated with his life and his teachings that peace is not progress in the way that the world defines progress, but instead he showed us the way to be ambassadors of reconciliation, be active participants in bringing about enjoyment, wholeness, and completion to restore to others what they have lost through active participation. The Apostle Paul would actually say it this way in Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as one, as members of one body, you were called to peace. Now, let me do this. I want to come back to the story that I started with at the beginning. In one of those instances, whenever I was laid out on the floor, I realized I wasn't having a heart attack, but instead it was an anxiety attack. And I, one of those moments and one of those days, I called Lauren to tell her probably after the umpteenth time that she needed to come home. And instead of giving in like she had a few times, she's, she's loving in that way. She said, you need to call my mom and she will tell you what you need to do. And in that, in that response, I said, mm-mm, I'm not doing that. Not because I was afraid, but because I was wanting to live in isolation where really the only person who knew what was happening was Lauren and, and because she had to know. But in that moment, I started arguing. I said, I'm not calling your mom. Not only am I not calling your mom, but part of the reason why I didn't want to call her mom is because her mom was already in a frail state. She was already in a place of like needing to be cared for because of how uh, cancer was just was just coming uh, uh, after her. And 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 she says, you need to call my mom. And so after some arguing, I called Lauren's mom and I began to describe to her what I was experiencing. And I didn't know this at the time, but what she did changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. In her weak and frail state, she rose up with the peace 
and began over the course of time, over the course of months and over the course of like days, weeks and months. And she taught me three things. And every time I would call her during this season of my life, she would remind me of three things. And here are the three things that I want to uh, give to you. One, she said, Johnny, be dead to sin and alive to God. You see, she took the time to remind me of Jesus's life, death and resurrection and what he accomplished through that. She began to remind me that he is peace, that his purpose in life was so that we can know the father and be reconciled to him. And she did for me what I hope to be doing for you, that some of you in here, as I was going through the um, the proclamation of peace and the person of peace, you're saying, Johnny, can you tell me a different story? And the truth is, is that there is no different story. There is no story that is able to bring hope and that is able to bring peace to your life other than the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to die for you, to to bleed for the remission of your sins and that on the third day he rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father, that he conquered sin, that he conquered Satan, and that he conquered death. There is no other story. Let me remind you this morning, be dead to sin and alive to God. Oh, that you may know him. Paul prayed this. And as your, as your pastors, we pray this often. What Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not so that you would be this amazing man or woman of God. Not so that you can increase your ego. Oh, but that you may know him better. dead to sin and alive to God, that in your practice of peace, put sin to death. And how do we do that? She said, Johnny, be known by others. She taught me how to live life with others to be fully known and not hide. There's a, a friend of mine, we've been talking about this in the last week or so, and this is not original to me, but uh, living 99% known is living being not known at all. Meaning that if you're holding back even just 1%, it means that you're not fully living in the light of the glory of, of Christ. And so my encouragement to you that as you are dead to sin and alive to God, that you would be known by others. Oh, that you would be, that you would be so known that when fear or anxiety starts creeping up, that you would be bold to pick up a phone and call somebody and say, I need to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus. I need to be reminded of who Jesus is because I'm I'm tempted to go into isolation. You see, James would say that he, he would encourage us, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So why do we confess to one another so that we would be healed? Why do we pray for one another? So that we would be healed and practice the peace that Jesus came and demonstrated and embodied for us that we would be like Christ 
and practice his peace by confessing and praying with one another. Be known by others. Because later on, he says in uh, James uh, chapter 5, verse 19, my brothers and sisters, he says, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Being active in our participation of peace means that we draw near with one another. And then lastly, she said this, worship team, if I can have you come up here, please. Thank you. Three, she said, be spent on behalf of others. You see, she taught me that peace, and uh, through the scripture, she taught me that peace is not just personal, but to seek peace for others and be an active participant in the wholeness of this, in the, in the wholeness that only Jesus is able to bring with others. And so, my encouragement this morning is: May you actively seek peace. Now, this is really interesting because Jesus taught this in, on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, he didn't say blessed, and you've heard this before, if you've grown up in church for any amount of time. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Because there's the implication that we are actively seeking peace for others. And as we practice peace, then you know what the fruit of practicing peace is? Is that we cultivate peace. J.R. Woodward wrote a book, and he says, who are the peacemakers? It's a little bit long, but I'll read it. Peacemakers help people experience liberation from personal and social sins by forming spirit-transforming communities. Peacemakers encourage people to overcome addictions, grow in personal holiness, and live in the power of the Spirit. It is about seeing the reality of God's kingdom brought to bear on earth. It's when enemies are reconciled, injustices are made right. I can't type. Hurts are healed, anxieties are soothed, and cities flourish. Peacemakers seek to restore all that was lost at the fall. Our relationship with God, with each other, with creation, and within ourselves. And peacemakers, they care about all of creation and seek to be good stewards for the sake of the whole. Peacemakers encourage us to speak truth to the powers that be and root out oppression in the church and in the world. These are peacemakers. That in our practice of peace, that we would remember that we are covered by the proclamations and we are sustained by the embodiment of peace. That God has already promised peace. He's already promised enjoyment. He's already promised wholeness and completion. By proclaiming it and it being so, when Jesus came 
and took on flesh the embodiment of peace, the prince of peace. And what do we get to do in this time and in this moment as we end this year and go into the new one? And as you write maybe your, your uh, New Year's resolutions or you begin to hear the voice of the Lord, may you hear the voice of the Lord that in 2022, it would be a year for peacemaking. It would be a year where we tell no other story but the greatest story that has ever been told. May it be the story of peace. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. That I want to just take a moment just to pray over you. At the end of service, we're going to have our prayer and prophetic team come up. And if you desire prayer, uh, our prayer and prophetic team, our staff and our overseers, guys, get ready so that at the end of service, whenever we dismiss, you guys would come up, and then if there's anyone in here that is needing to be, uh, that maybe is going through some time of anxiety or fear, or maybe uh, you sense, man, I, I've heard of Jesus before, but there's this burning in my heart that I really feel like I need prayer because my life has not been totally and completely given and surrendered to Jesus, his embodiment of peace and being a peacemaker. This is your moment your time to come up and be prayed over, prayed for. And, and we believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. So there's going to be some, some maybe prophetic words that are shared with you, some prophetic pictures that are shared with you. We're not declaring a thus saith the Lord moment, but what we are saying is, hey, we sense from the Spirit that this has been something that has been going on in your life, and don't let this be a time of intimidation. Let it be a time where it is the Lord's kindness that is drawing you closer to Him. So this morning, the Prince of Peace is wanting to meet with you. And the Spirit of God is wanting to minister comfort over you. So why don't you stand right there where you're at? And I leave you with this. Where Jesus says, not Johnny, not Antioch Dallas, not anyone else here, but Jesus said this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. and Do not be afraid. So Lord, I pray for your people. I pray that you would minister peace over. And as we, uh, in this moment, look back through song and we begin to declare how good you are we begin to remember of your faithfulness, of how you've brought us through, that we, that this would give us the courage that we need and, the, and, and your spirit would minister to us in such a way that it would embolden us to step in and be the peacemakers that you have called us to be. And that we would be so marked by peace and so marked by a non-anxious presence. That your word would come true that others would see and they would say they are the children of God. Lord, I pray this over Antioch Dallas at this last gathering of the year. 
that, Lord, as we go into the holidays and as we go into the new year, that you would prepare our hearts for what you are calling us and asking us to do and step into. For the rebuilding, for the renewing, and for the restoration of the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's worship.